you got your Bibles, would you go with me today to the book of Genesis? Genesis, the 8th chapter, where we're going to be this morning. And uh, I want to say again, we are so thankful and honored to be here. Pastor, thank you for opening up your pulpit uh, to us today. Are you ready for the Word? About three of you. Let's try it again. Are you ready for the Word? Amen. Genesis chapter number 8, verse number 6. If you've got it, say amen. If you're still looking, say hold up. If you're going to cheat and read off the screen, say that's me. All right. All you, all you holy people, you got your Bibles memorized. Didn't need to bring them today. Genesis chapter number 8, verse number 6. It says, So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened up the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out for himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. She returned to the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. Father, I thank you for your word today. It is power and it is life. I'm nothing but a vessel which you have molded and which you have shaped, and therefore, Lord, it is impossible for me to do anything without your anointing. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would anoint me, anoint my lips to speak forth your word. God, anoint our ears as your people to hear and our hearts to be receptive. Change us and challenge us in your presence today. And we thank you for it. And all of God's people said, Amen. I want to preach today on the thought of, is there a place for the dove? Is there a place for the dove? I, I like to study history. I, I like to look at the history of the church the history of revival. The Azusa Street Revival was filled with people of all income levels, broad spectrum of religious backgrounds that were involved in it. The Azusa Street Revival began in a home in Los Angeles, and it, it was a, a, a home that they would have prayer meetings in, and it grew to such a point that they were forced to move the meetings after the front porch collapsed from all the people that had gathered there. One historian describes it this way, that they shouted for three days and three nights in the Easter season. People came from everywhere, and by the next morning, there was no way to get near the house. As people came in the house, they would fall under God's power, and the whole city was stirred. They shouted until the foundation of the house gave way, but no one was hurt. It was then that they moved their revival meetings to an empty warehouse where from Anywhere from 300 to 1,500 people would gather each night to pray and to cry out to God. It was in those meetings that people would be healed and would be set free and would be saved and would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I love to read stories about the moves of God. I love to read about the Welsh Revival. I love to read about the Azusa Street Revival. I love to read of the Great Awakenings. I love to read of what happened in Brownsville, at Pens in Pensacola at Brownsville Assembly of God. I, I love to read of those things. But I am also hungry within my heart to have my own story. I'm hungry not to just hear about it, 
not to just read about it, but I want to experience it in my life. I want my own story of a great move of God. I want my own story of seeing deaf ears open and seeing blind eyes open and seeing the lame leave their wheelchairs behind and walk out under the power of God. I don't want my boys to have to hear about a move of God or read about it in a history book somewhere. I want my three boys to experience, to see firsthand the power and the presence and the might of God at work in the lives of His people. And I just have to wonder today, will we be a church? Will we be a people that is open to the moving of the Spirit of God? The Bible tells us the story of Noah. If you've been in church any time at all, you know the story of Noah. You know that God spoke to Noah and He said, Noah, I look on the world and it's full of wickedness and it's only growing more and more evil each day. And so God, in His punishment of sin, was ready to wipe it all out and start over. But the Bible tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How many is thankful for grace? How many of you, when you think back to where you've been, when you think to what you've come out of, when you think to how your life was before Jesus, you look and you say, I'm thankful for grace? How many of you, you've been in church all your life, you've been kept by the power of God, you've been kept by the Spirit of God, you grew up in church, it's all you know, you cut your teeth on the pew, you know what it is to dodge bobby pins, getting shot out of women's hair left and right, but you look and God's kept you, you've never given in to drugs, you've never given in to alcohol, you've kept yourself and walked before the Lord, but you can look back and you can say, I'm thankful for grace that has kept me safe this far. How many of you, you're, 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 you're thankful for grace that has kept you in the journey? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God speaks to Noah. And He says, Noah, I want you to build an ark because it's going to rain. God, Noah says, okay, God, I'll do it. But i got two questions. What's an ark and what's rain? They've never seen it, never experienced it, never encountered it. So the Bible says that God gave specific instructions for how He was to build the ark. Noah followed it. The Bible tells us, or historians tell us, Jewish scholars will tell you, that in order to be obedient to God, the first thing that Noah had to do was plant trees in order to use for the framing of the ark. Noah would have had to wait 70 years for those trees to grow to maturity to be able to use in the building of the ark. And can you imagine as Noah's building the people are ridiculing, and Noah's building, people are mocking, and people are scorning, but Noah just kept on building, and there came a day where God said, Noah, it's time, it's time for you to get your wife, get your sons, get their daughters, and get on board with all the animals, and the Bible says that God shut the door of the ark, and then all of a sudden, water started coming from everywhere. The sky opened up, the ground opened up, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. And it's kind of like Forrest Gump. You know, it rained hard rain, and it rained soft rain, and it rained sideways, and it rained upways, and that, you know, it just rained. That's all it did. For 40 days and 40 nights, water fell on the earth. The only life on, that, on the world was the life on that ark. And so where our text picks up this morning, it's towards the ends of this event. They've been on the ark for 150 days. For five months, they were floating free, the Bible tells us, until the ark came to rest on the mounts of Ararat. It was another three months before the waters receded enough for the, for the top of the mountain to be seen. It was 40 days after that, Noah sends out a raven. The Bible tells us that the raven went to and fro 
but he never came back to the ark. Here's why. The raven is a representation of the works of the flesh. The raven is a bird of death. And how many knows when you try to work it out in your own way, when you try to, when you try to get to where you want to go on your own and you don't rely on the power and on the presence of God, when you don't surrender your life to the leading of the Spirit of God, you'll just constantly be going to and fro and back and forth. You try to climb the ladder to get to a position you want, only to get to that position and find out you're not satisfied. You try to get the money that you want in the bank only to find you get that money and you're not satisfied. You try to get that relationship you want only to get that relationship and find out you ain't satisfied. It's because you're working in yourself and you're never getting anywhere because you're relying on your own power and your own might and your own wisdom. But the Bible tells us Noah also sent out a dove. The Bible says he sends this dove out and it goes out and it finds no place to rest so the dove comes back. Seven days later, Noah sends another, the dove out again. This time the dove comes back. It's got an olive branch in its mouth. Seven days later, Noah sends that same dove out. And this time the dove never returns because it had found a place to rest. See, the dove in Scriptures is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of God. Matthew 3 and 16 says, that when Jesus had been baptized, He came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting upon Him. The Bible tells us in Genesis that, the, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it tells us the earth was without form and it was void and it was empty. And where do we find the Spirit of God in that moment? He was hovering. He was brooding over the waters of God's creation. He was waiting to rest. He was waiting to move. And I don't know about you, but I think God brought me to Galena, Kansas this morning to ask somebody, will you be a place for the dove to rest? Will Christ Point Church be a church for the dove to rest? Now, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I got three points. I think three points will get you into heaven. Okay? First point is this today. Is there a place for the dove? Genesis 8 9 says that he sent that dove out, and the dove found no resting place for the sole of its foot. The dove was looking for somewhere to land but couldn't even find anywhere to rest its feet. There was no place for the dove. And I think that's a picture of the church today because there is a tension in the church world today. And that tension is, is there a place for a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, Spirit-led church in the society that we live in today? Now, you know, shouldn't we be uh, more reserved and more laid back and shouldn't we button our coats a little bit and shouldn't I push my glasses down over my nose and look a little, little bit more studious and look a little bit more like I got it all together. Look, I spit, I sweat, I slobber. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. This is what you're getting today. But, but, but you know, we, we, we have this society today. We don't have sermons anymore. We have talks. We don't have preaching anymore. We have conversations that take place today. And this tension lives because people think, doesn't that spirit stuff run people off? Pastor Josh, if we have that, won't people be weirded out? Why do we need that here? And even in Pentecostal circles, we have people who have limited the spirit 
ran the Spirit out and pushed the Spirit out of the way for, for, the, for the sake of making our church look appealing to the world around us. And what we have in the church world today is an attempt to be spiritual without the Spirit of God. Titus put it this way. He said we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. We've got the songs. We've got the, we, we've got the messages. We know when to clap. We know when to shout. We know when to raise our hands. We can even cry when it hits us just right. But we have learned to do it without the Spirit of God. And I'm concerned when I look at the landscape of the church world today because we have churches that have become satisfied with having church without ever inviting the presence of God into their midst. We have churches, now not here, I'm not talking about y'all's church, I'm talking about other churches. I'm saying we have become satisfied though in the church as a whole to become just content in coming to church Content in singing our songs. Content in hearing the message. And never allowing the presence of God to change us into who He wants us to be. To change us into, into, into His image more and more. I, I read of churches that want to take a non-threatening approach to the presentation of the Holy Spirit. And so they don't allow the gifts in operation in their service. And they, they, they schedule special nights where people can come and seek the Holy Spirit, but understand the Holy Spirit is anything but threatening. And if we start treating Him like a threat, then we might as well shut the door. People say, well, the Holy Spirit will make us weird. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to make us weird. If you're weird when you get the Holy Spirit, you were weird before you got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you bark like a dog or quack like a duck or flap your feathers like a chicken. The Holy Spirit comes to empower you and embolden you to fulfill your... The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not the tongues. That's important, okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial physical evidence, is speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. But what we come to do in the church a lot of times is we just have tongue Olympics and we just watch how everybody can speak in tongues and we're just one. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is for you to leave this place on a Sunday and go into your workplace on a Monday and go into your schools and impact people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem in the church today is we've learned to have church without the Spirit. A.W. Tozer, the great pastor and Christian writer, says, as I see it, the great woe is not the presence of these religious toys and trifles, but the fact that they have become a necessity and the presence of the Holy Spirit is not in our midst. We have the programs, but not His presence. We have the speakers, but no anointing. We have good music, but no power. Why? Because they've forgotten about the dove. But I believe that I'm in a place today, and I believe Christ Point Church in Galena, Kansas, is a church that says we'll be a place for the dove that we want the Spirit in our services, that we want the Spirit in our ministries, we want the Spirit in our kids' ministry, and we want the Spirit in our youth ministry, and we want the Spirit in our growth point classes, and we want the Spirit in our Sunday morning times. We want the Spirit on Sunday night, and we want the Spirit on Wednesday night. We want the Spirit in our preaching, and we want the Spirit in our worship. We want 
the Spirit. Y'all remember the cheer you used to do in school? We've got Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got Spirit. How about you? That should be the cry of the church today. We've got Spirit. Yes, we do. And we're not ashamed of it. We're not going to back away from it. We're not going to try to hold it down or back it out. We are. You know, people say, are y'all that church? Yes, we are that church. We are Spirit-empowered. We are Spirit-led. We are filled with the Spirit. We're a church where people are filled and speak with other tongues. We're a church where people dance and run and shout and fall out when the Spirit moves. We're a church that is an epicenter for the move of the Spirit in this four-state reasons. We are that church. We are a place for the dove. Y'all didn't know a little boy from Arkansas could preach that good, did you? Secondly, today is this second point. Where does the dove rest? Where's the dove rest? Look at our text again, verse number 10. It says, He waited yet another seven days. He sent the dove out from the ark. And then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth, and so he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. Two places. This passage gives us insight about where the dove rests. Number one, the dove rests where there is peace. Notice he sent the dove out the second time and it came back with an olive leaf. An olive branch is a symbol of peace. In the ancient culture, when the victors of war or the victors of battle would be crowned, they would carry with them olive branches. If you look on many countries, the symbol of their nation, the, the emblems of their nation, include in some way, shape, or form an emblem of an olive branch. In the, in the United States, you see the bald eagle, the, the, the emblem of the eagle, it always has carried in one of its foot, one of its claws, one of its feet is an olive branch. It's a symbol of peace and it's, it, it, is, it shows peace. In the ancient Olympic Games, when the winner would be crowned, they didn't get a gold medal, they got an olive, uh, a wreath uh, that was placed on their heads made of olive leaves. See, the dove, the Spirit of God, comes where there is peace. God's Spirit never comes where there is chaos or where there is disunity. God's job and what God does is God brings order from our chaos. But He does not reside in chaos. Peace is the, in the church is a mark of unity in the church. So where does the dove come? The dove comes to a church that is unified. See, have we set our hearts to be unified in our pursuit of making this place a place where the dove can rest? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place and in one accord. They weren't driving a Honda. Some of y'all get that when you get home. But they were in one accord. They were united together. They, were, they, were, they had set their hearts. That, that word accord means that they had set their hearts. They had set themselves for a purpose in that moment. You didn't have Peter over here trying to start his own thing. You didn't have John over here trying to do his own thing. You didn't have one person yelling, hold on, and the other person yelling, let loose. You know, you, you had people united in their purpose. They were together in their purpose seeking 
the heart of God. They were together in their pursuit. They were together in prayer. They were together in praise. And they were together in passion. And it's when those in the upper room were together, they were united. It is then that the power came. See, when we come together, nothing can stop us. When we come together, we can shake a city and impact a world. When we come together, we can see souls saved. See, Satan doesn't fear a big church. Satan fears a united church. He doesn't, he doesn't care if you got a lot of people coming because if you got a lot of people coming and there's constant fighting and bickering between you, you'll never accomplish anything. What Satan cares about and what Satan works to disrupt is he works to disrupt the unity of the Spirit because unity brings a greater strength. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 points out that two are better than one. There's strength in numbers in the church. And when we're united around a vision, and we're united around a purpose, and we're united around, around a pursuit, it is then that the power of God shows up. Psalms 133 and 1, the psalmist says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. The beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there, where, where, where? For there, the place of unity, the place of peace, there is where the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That word commanded there is the picture in, in, in the original language, the transliteration of it. It's the picture of literally like a, like a pitcher getting a baseball and throwing it towards a target or taking something and throwing it towards a target. And that is what God wants to do in a place that is unified. It is there that God's got the blessing ready. It is there that God's got the power ready. It is there that God's got the presence ready. And He's ready to loose it on a place. But God is looking for a place that is unified. What is the blessing that God commands? Well, He says it's like the oil upon the head and the beard of Aaron. God wants to release an anointing in this place. It's an anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. It's an anointing that sets the captive free. It's an anointing that when people are driving by trying to get their kicks on Route 66, they're going to feel something coming from this place. It's a place where when the sinner walks in, they can't help but come to know Jesus. It's a place where bondages are broken and lives are changed because of the anointing. The second thing though is this, it says that it's like the dew on Mount Her on Hermon and on the mountains of Zion. Now I was doing some studying and looking on this and I found it interesting. One of the scholars that I was looking at said that these places, Hermon and the mounts of Zion, was a place where dew wouldn't show up because of the conditions of the land, the dryness of the area, the dew wouldn't show up. So what does that mean to me when I look at this? It means that God wants to bless you. God wants to saturate your life with blessings in places that it even shouldn't be blessed. Ways that you don't understand it. Ways that you don't comprehend it. Ways that you don't get it. But God just keeps on blessing. People would look and they would say, how did a little bitty church on 23rd and Annie Baxter end up here? God blesses us and we don't even know it. How do they keep making it? God blesses us and we don't even know it. How did a church that was a hundred, my, my church, $166,000 in debt in a, in a farming community, a community not known for its jobs, a community where people are leaving to go to other towns and find better jobs. How, within a three-year period, did we pay down $120,000 worth of debt? I don't understand it, but the blessings of God came in ways that we didn't expect it. God wants to bless your life. 
The second place that the dove comes and the dove rests is a place where there's life. Remember, before Noah sent out the dove, he sent out the raven. And in literature, and in the context of culture, the raven is a bird of death. Can you imagine, as this flood has swept over the earth, the death that is present? The carcasses that are floating in the water because of the death that has come. How do you know when your church is in trouble? When ravens start showing up. Ravens come because they are looking for death. They're looking for trouble. They're looking, they're looking to attach themselves to something. Ravens don't eat what they go and get. They eat what others have left behind. The ravens come eat and they scavenge on the stuff that has been left by others. And ravens come in and they find the hurting and the lost and the broken and they begin to attach themselves to them and pull out of them and begin to destroy them. When you see a raven around, you need to kick that thing and tell them we ain't got no time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Why? Because Christ Point Church is a church of life. See, the dove did not settle. It did not rest until it saw life. And that's a picture of the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes where there is life. The Spirit of God comes where there is vitality. The Spirit of God comes where there is vibrancy. He comes where there's an excitement and there's an anticipation. I walked in here today and I sensed excitement. I walked in here this morning I sensed anticipation of what God was going to do. You didn't have to wonder if God was going to show up today. You walked in this place knowing God was going to show up today. Why? Because Christ Point Church is a place of life. It's a place of the Spirit. It's a place of His presence. Understand me. God wants to, some of you today, God wants to breathe fresh life into your, into your body. God wants to breathe fresh life within you because where God shows up, there's always life. And when God God breathes, something always happens. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, God had formed Adam from the dust of the earth, and when he breathed into Adam, he breathed into Adam what? The breath of life. Ezekiel chapter 37 tells us there's a valley of dry bones, and the Lord looks at the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, son of man, can these bones live? Some of you got some things in your life, God's asking that question, can these bones live? Again, and the prophet answers and says, oh God, only you know, God, if that's going to happen and if that's going to occur and God says I want you to prophesy and you tell those things to come together some of you in your life you need to start speaking to the dry areas you need to start speaking to the dry bones you need to start speaking to the areas where you haven't felt the presence of God and you need to say it is time to live again it is time to come together but the Bible tells us we have a problem because those bones come together but there's no breath in them they're standing up and they're lifeless they're standing up and they're empty and God speaks and He says, now is the time to say, let the breath of God blow. And as the prophet speaks, the Bible tells us that the breath of God blew, blew across that valley and filled those lifeless bodies with life. Acts chapter number 2 tells us there's a church, but there's no purpose. There's no passion. They just know they're waiting. They don't know what they're waiting for. They know they're waiting, but they don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know what it's going to sound like. They don't know what to do. Their leader is gone. Jesus is ascended into heaven. He's 
He's the one that did the miracles. He's the one that reached out. They don't know what to do. But the Bible tells us suddenly there came from heaven the sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it appeared unto them cloven tongues, divided tongues as of fire. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There in that upper room, in, in that tiny village, the Bible says that the breath of God blew into that upper room. And it was from there that the church of God went forward in passion and in power to accomplish the mission that God has set out before them. You say, Pastor Josh, what are you trying to say in all this? I'm trying to say today that some of you, when you're saved, you allow the Spirit to blow in you and you get a breath. And you get filled with the Spirit and you allow the Spirit to blow in you and you get filled with the breath. But the problem in some churches today and the problem in some people today is that they have quit uh, exhaling their breath. Have you ever tried to see how long you can hold your breath? My boys, when we go across bridges, they play this game where we start going across bridges and they hold their breath. Now, sometimes when I mean, I slow way down over the bridges. The only time the car is quiet. When we were going the other day and we were going over the Arkansas River in a bri on, on the bridge, the boys start playing that game. And we are over the bridge. I've turned onto another road. And I look back and my middle child, Carson, seven years old, he said, I look, his face is turning cherry red. He has not breathed the whole time. Cade, my oldest, is sitting in the middle next to him. And I turn around just as Cade is taking his arm and hitting him on the chest saying, breathe, let it out, breathe. That is the equivalent of what God is doing in the church today. God breathes in us. See, God breathes and God, God gives us life and God gives us, God gives us a vibrancy and God gives us excitement. And we come and we have one good service and we think that's going to last me. And we take our breath in. <gasps> and we come to church week after week and we're sitting here going. <gasps> And some of y'all are turning cherry red and God's trying to hit you and God's trying to say it's time to exhale because how many knows inhalation and exhalation are a sign of life. When you quit inhaling and you quit exhaling, there's a problem in there. And what happens is where you quit inhaling and you quit exhaling, no longer are you a body full of life. You are now a lifeless body. And I don't mean to be crude and I don't, I don't mean to try to offend anybody, but what, when we go to funerals and we look at bodies in the casket, we, we don't say that's their body. We say that's their remains. This is what remains of them. And the problem is, is we have too many churches today that are remains of what God has done. They are remains of His presence. They are the remains of His life. They are the remains of where He's been. And it is time for the church once again. It's time for some people today in this place to exhale, to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to breathe a breath of freshness into your life once again. Third point today, I'm almost done, is this. I've got a place. I've got a place. When Lacey and I, we first got married, we've been married be 12 years September the September the third right second yeah second well I was, I was testing her I know it y'all I'm preaching and my brain turns to jello 12 years September the second 
when we, we were first getting ready to get married, her family lived in Kentucky. And uh, God called me to the Kentucky mission field. I was living in Arkansas. And he said, son, there are people there who need me. And so I went to Kentucky. Some of y'all get that later. All right. That went over well. But I went to Kentucky. Uh, I would travel back and forth every weekend, uh, every other weekend, 12 hours one way because I was in love with her. Because I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to see her. And we, we, we would be driving looking for a place to stay we were, because we thought, man, we cannot live with her parents when we get married. This is, that ain't going to happen. Ain't nobody got time for that. So we're trying to figure out what to do. And we're driving around and, and uh, trying to find a place. And Lacey's got the newspaper open. And Lacey says, babe, I've got a place. I have found us a place for us to stay. You say, well, Pastor, what is your apartment, honey? I mean, I mean, because when we got married, we were so poor, we went to KFC to lick other people's fingers. I mean, <laughs> we watched them get done eating. We said, that looked real good. And, we, and so, you say, Pastor, what does that have to do with anything besides the fact that you have bad hygiene? God is looking for a place to send His Spirit. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that the 120 were all gathered together in one place. The word place there is the word epi. It is where we get our English word epicenter. Epicenter is the most likely place for seismic activity. It's the place most likely for the shaking, for the moving, or for the shifting. It is the place where it all starts. How many of y'all felt some earthquakes lately? Those people in Oklahoma don't know what they're doing and we get earthquakes all the time. We'll be laying in bed and it'll, it'll get a little shake. and we'll be, we'll be sitting there doing something and all of a sudden you'll feel a little shake. And I know y'all experienced one the other day, felt a little shaking going on. And, and, and you feel that. It's, it, it's not the shaking. The shaking isn't happening because something happened here. The shaking is happening because something happened somewhere else. And on the day of Pentecost, there were a faithful 120 that were gathered in an upper room tearing for a promise on high. And they were the epicenter for the shaking that we experience in our lives today. It was the place of shaking. It was the place of moving. It was the place of shifting. And you say, Pastor, what does this have to do with us? See, God wants this place to be an epicenter. God wants this place to be the start of something in this region. A place where people People come in and they are shaken by the power of God. A place where people come in and their lives are shifted where the addict lays down the needle and the alcoholic lays down the bottle. Where the adulterer turns from their affair and the homosexual turns from their lifestyle. Where the hardened heart is melted. Where the prodigal goes home and where the lost can be found. And I've got a picture in my spirit this morning of the dove floating fluttering, hovering over Christ Point Church today, and He's looking for a place to land, and He's looking for a place to rest, and He's looking for a place to feel, and I've got to wonder this morning, is there anybody here who would wave their hand and say, I've got a place. I've got a place for His presence. I've got a place for His power. I've got a place for His glory. I've got a place for God to move.